eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome in to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Matt Perini, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this Monday edition of the show. Mailbag edition. But first, before we dive into uh, a bunch of questions and a lot of hot topics that we're going to talk about, we want to remind you guys today, uh, June 13th is the last day you can get 60% off an annual membership to duckterritory.com. Um, that will end tonight. And you, I highly encourage you guys to at least check out the story. Uh, check out the promo information. If you don't want to do a year, you can get a month for $1. So highly encourage you guys jump in on that. Make sure you you, you join it because, hey, Big recruiting weekend this weekend, massive recruiting weekend next weekend. Fall camp starts in about two months. Football season is here in a little under three months. And next thing you know, at National Signing Day will be here. Men's and women's basketball will be here. Recruiting for both of those sports is hot and running. So make sure to save some money. Join DuckTerritory.com. Join our Duck community uh, and save a huge chunk of change while doing it. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start, Matt, because we are going to get into some recruiting things and we're going to give some broad stroke answers. And not that we're not going to give great detail here, but Matt has VIP information on the first two questions directly up on the site right now. And so, again, I would encourage you to go check that out. But we're going to start with a question from at Ross Makalich. Ross, you might have to correct me in the comments on how I pronounce your name. I probably butchered that. Um, anyway, Ross asks, does Oregon land Jaden Rashada this week or have they shifted their focus to uh, Dante Moore and Avery John- Johnson. Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, I thought this was pretty timely, Matt, because I, I know I don't think you saw this question. I don't think this is why you were no. hyping away this morning, but uh, you had an update probably right around 9 a.m. this morning um, on this very topic. And again, I don't want to give away all the VIP information, but give what you're comfortable with about where things stand for the Oregon quarterback position recruiting because they are in, on some pretty darn big prospects. Rashada commits this week. And I do not expect it to be Oregon unless there's a very big change of heart um, by Rashada. And I, I think quite honestly by Oregon too, um, it's no secret that Rashada is factoring in just like any other recruit. And I understand why he would do it NIL. And the, the QB market has kind of been set with Nico and his insane $2 million a year deal with Tennessee and Rashad is is seeking a high amount of money, and you know, we've heard certainly some things that Oregon has is willing to, you know, Oregon's NIL collective is willing to to play ball, but not that high. 
Um, and Rashada is, is looking for his options. And so the first part of that question, I don't think Oregon lands Rashada every week that goes by the, the gap widens between Oregon and Rashada. Um, now Avery Johnson and Dante Moore, um, that's, that's a good start for what Oregon's QB class could look like. But, you know, those two guys probably feel like the top guys right now that have the best option of, of landing with the Ducks. Let's talk, I guess, briefly about what those guys are like as prospects. I, I, I'm, I think, Jared, I know the both of us have probably watched a little bit of both of these guys. Um, f- first off, I also want to just dispel, like, Oregon could, in theory, have an, a quarterback opening when these guys both arrive in 23. I also just want to be cautious to, like, be building expectations that one of these guys comes in and immediately starts because that was the expectation for Ty Thompson, and that has certainly not taken place. Um, Moore is a higher-rated recruit than Ty Thompson. Johnson is not. Um regardless i really like both of these prospects quite a bit um johnson athletically i know they're both great athletes but johnson athletically he's he's slider build is just pretty pretty terrific in terms of his explosiveness um his speed and athleticism um i think more probably i think more is a better passer right now um but like i kind i really like both of these kids do you, like if you had to pick one or the other jared do you have a preference right now or is, are they, you just a big fan of both guys Certainly a big fan of both guys. I think if I had, if, if someone came up and said, Hey, one of these two quarterbacks will commit to Oregon, which one would you pick? I obviously, I think I'd pick Dante more. Um, I just think he's, I think he's the full package. Um, I think he's a better prospect than Rashada is right now. Um, I think he's has more potential. I think he's just more fluid as a quarterback understands the game more. Um, I think Nico Amalavi, uh, I think he and, and, Dante Moore would be one and two. I think for a lot of schools across the country, if they could get the pick of the litter, um, if Oregon's in that good of a position, like Matt is saying, uh, for, for Dante Moore or Avery Johnson, I think that's a good sign. Um, I think overall, it's a good sign that what you see with Kenny Dillingham and the offensive staff um, being in the market and you know getting this close to recruits, um, I think that's a good overall sign as well. Um, that the recruiting, at least at quarterback, that, that position won't slow down anytime soon. Uh, you know, you've seen what Carlos Lockman has done at running back too. So overall, I think all of this is a positive development. I know if, uh, you know, in a hypothetical world, if, if Avery Johnson is a quarterback who commits to Oregon, there might not be a lot of happy fans about it. But Avery Johnson is, is certainly a capable quarterback, you know, an Elite 11 finalist, Eric, like you're saying, a good athlete. Um, someone who's really risen through the rankings in the last year or so uh, and can continue to do so with a strong senior year. Um, I think they're both just solid quarterbacks, but in a long-winded, very a very long-winded way of answering the question, I'd absolutely take Dante Moore over Avery Johnson. But that, again, is no dismissal of Johnson's prowess. I mean, I would agree with that, you know, but that's the difference between a, a five-star quarterback and a top exactly. 200 guy. Um, Dante Moore is a five star, and Avery Johnson is a top two hundred quarterback, and is I think I think Avery Johnson. There's there are probably two tiers here. It, Dante would be someone I would look at and say, Bo Nix moves on, and he's at Oregon. He's in the mix to 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 be the starter um, in 2023 as a true freshman. Um, with Avery, I. 
I would think he is someone I would expect him to be someone that would become a starter down the road, but I would have a hard time really legitimately saying he, he's going to beat out Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield for that gig in 2023. Um, if, if Bo Nix had two years of eligibility and Avery had that year to, to acclimate himself, then I would be more on board with it. And I think that's the difference um, that maybe Jared's talking about between the two guys is they're both really talented. They're both going to be starters at the college level. One of them is just probably more ready-made than the other one. Um, but Avery Johnson, he's a freak athlete. Yeah. Like <laughs> some of his dunks that he has in high school basketball are like, damn. Um, so I, I hope duck fans, if, if it doesn't, if it is Avery, I hope duck fans don't get disappointed because he's still a very, very, very talented quarterback. Um, and as someone that's got a lot of athleticism and a lot of skill that will translate to the football field. Moore would be the highest rated quarterback recruit Oregon has signed. Johnson would not be, but I believe Johnson would be one of the six or seven highest. I, sh- I should probably have prepared that in my notes here um, for this conversation. But um, yeah, more, more, more would take the, the mantle, if you will, from, from Ty and Kellen Clemens as the, the top rated quarterback signees in, in program history. All right. Second one from at cam underscore one, two, two, one, nine, nine. I don't know what those numbers stand for. I was thinking it was a, a, a year of birth, but that would maybe be like we're number off <laughs> Yeah, that's they're, a couple years away from now. A little, little in the future here. So, um, Cam, you can also, if you care enough to uh, correct me what those numbers mean, if you don't want to share what those numbers mean, that's totally understandable as well. All right, I know it's early, but from what you guys have heard and the news we have seen so far, what is a realistic expectation for the 2023 recruiting class when it's all said and done? He writes in parentheses, top five, top 10, hashtag audibles, by the way. Um, the best way to make sure you get your question answered is using the hashtag, even if it's in the thread, because um, a lot of the times I go and, and search for them outside of the thread just to make sure I, I catch all the questions. Um, and that's kind of the first uh, way I operate. So um, all four questions asked today, did use the hashtag, Phil. Thanks for doing that. Um, Matt, I'm going to throw it back to you again here, because you did have another VIP story over the weekend. Um, projecting kind of like the best case realistic scenarios, I think how you worded it yeah. for this class. And I'm not going to ask you to name all the names because that would be a really poor uh, for for us from a business plan. Because we do want you to sign up for the VIP subscription, which we just promoted earlier. But I do. Maybe we can at least you can at least include kind of where you landed with a range for where the class. Because I know you you did the end calculated what the score would look like and how that would stack up using I think last year's class as a barometer for kind of where that range would hit. Yeah, so I I projected Oregon signing 25 and um, for that exercise. I, I think the number that Oregon could sign is anywhere from 20 to 30 guys. Um, a lot of that will depend upon how many players after the season is over um, either transfer out, turn pro, and um, we're going to see some of that happen during the season. We're probably going to see some of that happen now between – now in the start of, of the first game against Georgia as well. And so uh, that number that they come at will, will depend upon what happens over the next six months. But for now, I'm, I'm just saying 25, it, it's a safe number. Um, and, and honestly, the, the class projection that I had is right in line with its best class in school history in 2021. It's not as good, but it's, it's right there. It's within earshot. It, it's, you have, I think it's realistic to say that this this Dan Lanning staff 
could make a run at the best class in school history. Now, to do that, it's going to require some dominoes to fall their way. Um, they're going to need to sign a couple five-star players to get there. They're in contention for a, a, more than a handful of them. Um, if you just want to start at the top of the rankings and, and work your way down, David Hicks is the number five player in the country. He's looking out of Oregon. He's expected to take an official visit there. Caden Proctor, the number 10 player in the country. He is one of uh, the guys that Oregon has the best chance at landing among the five-star players. Dante Moore, we've already talked about him. Um, Tony Mitchell, a cornerback from from uh, from Alabama is in there. Um, you've got Deuce Robinson. You've also got um, Samson Okunola. You've got Mateo Ungalele. You've got Javier Tovino, uh, Richard Young, uh, Samuel Mpamba. Um, that's the group right there. And then you also didn't even mention – or Jonte Cook, sorry, too, the receiver. Um, and then you have to look at some of the high four-star guys, a guy like Jaden Wayne – um, you, you, who's almost a five star? They're they're gonna need to land multiple of of the that group to get there. I I think it's realistic that they will. Um, I don't think earlier in the year, like in January, there was all that hot buzz from the from the fan base that they were gonna sign four or five five star players. I don't think that's gonna happen. Um, the most they've ever signed in one class is three when they signed Manning. Flow and Sewell all in one class. I, I think three is probably your best case. More realistically, maybe two um, from a five-star perspective. But we're in that discussion right now. And, you know, I've got them projected with three guys. Uh, no, excuse me, two five-stars. I, I did have them with three, and I changed <clears throat> it down to two. But if you go read that story – the Top top ten is a real a very real realistic option for Oregon. Um, I, I think top five you're being best case scenario and maybe ignoring some of the likelihood that some of these guys aren't going to sign with Oregon. Yeah, I think we've good, Jared. I think we've kind of we've been over this this topic before on the podcast of whether Oregon, I think multiple times, like whether Oregon can sign five, five-star prospects or four, four-star prospects, five-star prospects in 2023, or if they can land a top five recruiting class. Um, I think we all kind of came to a resounding, it's really hard to do those things in yeah. college football nowadays during, during those podcast sessions. Um, it's going to be difficult again. Uh, I do think that Oregon is on there, uh, certainly on its way. Um, you know, if you read Matt's story, which does require VIP subscription, so everybody sign up by tonight. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard, but I do think that they position themselves in a really good spot for most of these guys. Um, getting players on campus early, um, at, at least for an unofficial like Samson Okanola came uh, you know, one, a week or two ago. Uh, you know, he's a guy from Massachusetts, but the idea of getting him to travel across the country for an unofficial visit is that's pretty darn important. Um, you don't see that all the time. Usually you'll see kids from Southern California, Northern California, or <laughs> Seattle, whatever the case may be, travel for an unofficial. But Oregon is seemingly getting a lot of kids to travel um, basically across the country and from the Southeast, from the Northeast, whatever the case may be, um, to Oregon on unofficials, which is huge because, you know, a lot of players, once they see Oregon for the first time, they'll, they'll want to see it again for an official visit, which 
you know, allows even more of a or better of a recruiting trip in general. Um, overall, I think that the class, like Matt was saying, it's got to land a couple five stars if it really wants to be contention for a top 10. Um, if you just look at the way recruiting has been the last couple of years, it's been nuts. And I think with the NIL deals that Oregon will be a strong player. And I think it's going to become even more nuts. Um, and they got to, like we've been, like Matt talked about with Rashada, Oregon will have to pony up for a couple guys, but I think they, they'll show that they will because I think they're, they're very serious about how they're going to be recruiting this year. And I think, you know, with Dan Lanning's first year at the helm, I think he wants to put it out on, on, you know, on a different level to show that Oregon is not going anywhere in terms of the recruiting world. I think that's the next step that Oregon needs to take as a program from a recruiting perspective is they've shown they can land the five-star. They've shown now that they can land the five-star consistently. I think that next step for Oregon from a recruiting perspective is to consistently land multiple five-stars in the same recruiting class and do it year over year. That that's, that's where when not just five-stars, but top 100 guys, multiple top 100 guys, um, like I'm talking five, six top 100 guys. Um, that's where programs make that jump from being a conference contender to a college football playoff contender. And before we go to break, man, I just wanted to say um, a lot of how this class is going to shake up will be determined this month, I think. And I'm not yes. going to say it's, it's you know, I don't know if you're going to land a, a huge number of commitments, but the – and we're going to have full updates on who all will be here on the site on the 17th and the 24th. But these are massive recruiting weekends. There's a lot of big time prospects lined up to visit. And if Oregon is going to sign a top five class and sign three to four five stars, which again is best case scenario, it's all going to come together on the 17th and the 24th and those weekends when they've got big numbers of these blue chip five star top 40 recruits on campus. And, and honestly, I think if you're an Oregon fan, this is, this is why a VIP subscription is valuable right now. There's going to be a lot of recruiting talk over this next two to three weeks because there's going to be the visits and then there's going to be the fallout after the visits. And there's possibly going to be some commitments that follow as well. So um, this is, you know, it's funny because spring football comes and passes and there's, you know, a little bit of a slower period sometimes Well, the May was pretty active in terms of landing verbal commitments, but June did not used to be like the big, big recruiting time of the year in terms of official visits. Things have shifted a little bit. And this month is is really shaping up to be one of the biggest months. I think probably one of the biggest Junes in program history. And Oregon is positioning itself with some success this month to really maybe make a push for what we've said already to that best case with a bunch of blue chippers in a top five class. 11 top 200 players are going to be on campus for official visits. That's just official visits in the next two weeks. Five of those guys are five-star players on campus. Um, Jared brought it up, and it's I think it's a great point that we could probably host an entire show on this one topic, but this staff's ability to get not just players to visit for unofficials or to get them to come multiple times, but for truly – top 100, top 200, five-star caliber guys and how frequently they are coming to Eugene for unofficial visits is pretty darn impressive. I mean, I think the, the guy who's been here the most, that's the high, excuse me, that's the highest rated guy, is Jaden Wayne, who is a five-star yeah. for us. He's not a five-star anymore on the composite. But I, I think since 
January. So we're six months in. I think he's been on campus in Eugene like five times. I mean, he's averaging almost once a month getting down to Eugene for an unofficial visit. I mean, that that's pretty phenomenal. That's a really good job by this coaching staff to to really get players on campus because the more you get them on campus, the more likely that they're going to sign with you guys. And I guess I just had one other thing I wasn't even sure, but I, I did. There was this kind of was a hot topic on the message board a couple of days ago of yeah. all these. Just it sounds like there is kind of a policy in place from and we talk about the unofficial visits and how impressive that is. It sounds like there is a policy in place that's probably not. There are probably exceptions to this, but where if a player is going to take an official visit to Oregon, they need to take at least one unofficial. Oregon wants a couple bites at the apple, if you will. And they want that opportunity to say, hey, if you're going to come out for an official, we're going to roll out the red carpet. We want you to have already been here once before to kind of not entirely to prove your interest to, to us, but also to kind of make sure that when you do come out here, you've seen everything and it's just not one visit. So we, Matt mentioned there's 11, five, you know, 11 top 200s, I think you said, that are on campus the next couple of weeks, five, five stars. Those are all on officials. There's a bunch of unofficials. And the idea being, you know, you, you turn those unofficials eventually into officials maybe later in the fall, maybe later this summer. Um, that was just a thing I, I, I heard from somebody who would know the answer to that question. I thought it was kind of interesting because it's a little bit of, I know this was not, it's not too far off what Mario had done previously. And I think even Willie Taggart, but it, I think this is a little bit more of a hard and fast rule than it was previously. All right, let's, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, um, we'll have more discussion from a football perspective, as well as some basketball recruiting discussion as well. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. Two questions in, two more to go, and a lot to discuss here on the mailbag. Yeah, third one from at High Flying Ducks. There's no question USC turns a corner this year with Lincoln Riley and their roster overhaul, but I think it's not just possible, but likely that UCLA remains the best team in LA, more stability and presumably better defense this year. Thoughts, hashtag odds and audibles. Um, so Jared and I about a, a little over a week ago now did mm -hmm. a exercise on kind of predicting the win loss records and the head to like kind of all the games throughout the conference this year. And I should also note later today, this won't be a VIP story, but it'll be a free story. I think unless Jared wants to make it VIP, which you can, um, but uh, uh, predicting kind of the outcomes of all these games. So we, we've done this exercise a little bit and I, I think we both landed. We think 
UCLA is going to win a lot of games. USC is going to win quite a few games. But I at least had head-to-head USC better than UCLA this year. Um, and, and I do think USC is probably the better team, honestly. Um, I think the, I think there is a lot of the, – the last point made, though, I think is pretty – it's worth considering is there is more stability in L.A. right now in terms of the coaching staff has been there longer. Um, defensively, UCLA was pretty good last year. I know they lost several guys. A couple guys went to the NFL. They also went out and added – we talk about the roster overhaul at USC – UCLA was number two in the conference in the transfer portal, and they really hit it mm-hmm. hard and bring in a handful of guys that were all conference at other schools um, last year. So uh, I, do, I, do, I do think UCLA and will be pretty darn good this year. Um, as we talked about on the podcast, they'll win a lot of games in part because they have the easiest non-conference schedule in the conference by a mile. They play a bunch of cr- pretty crummy teams. Um, so they've kind of, I think they have a pretty easy path to, eight, nine, 10 wins, just assuming that they're decent or not a little better in conference. I, I just don't think I see a, a real path to USC having, or sorry, UCLA having an offense that's remotely close to USC's. As much as I want to think DTR is going to turn it around and figure it out this year, I do think UCLA has a better running back. UCLA's skill positions has been hit pretty hard to the draft and players transferring, um, like at receiver. But I, I think it is interesting that so much of the national attention is on USC right now. And I, I do think UCLA probably gets maybe a smidge overlooked in terms of I do think that's going to be a really competitive game. And I think the South as a whole with USC, Utah and UCLA is, is going to be really competitive for, for that top spot. Um, I, I think you covered the fact that USC for whatever I mean, I don't know why the reason it is. They're the sexy pick, but. If I had to pick, if 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 it was USC versus the field to win the Pac-12 South, I'm taking the field, and I don't think I even blink once doing it. Um, Utah would be my my first option, but I do like the UCLA mention here. I mean, I, it was about a month ago we were on this podcast, and we were I don't know what made us go down this tangent, but we were talking about transfers and. And, you know, just the pecking order in the Pac-12 and, and what have you. And UCLA and Chip Kelly, they've very quietly been able to assemble um, a, a pretty strong transfer portal class of guys that they signed um, from Power 5 <clears throat> players and guys that had big careers at the, at the mid-major level or the group of five level. Um, it, I... I I'm not going to sit here and say UCLA is going to get second, but or win the league. But it, it wouldn't surprise me if if they maybe are that. Every year there's that one team in the conference that does way better than than expected, and it wouldn't be surprising if it's them. Um, I I think they could have a nine and three type season. I mean, there's that start to their their season. I remember that we we discussed it. Their schedule set up for them to go like six and zero. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They could they could be that team that really makes a big challenge that everyone's kind of like, whoa, what? Where did this come from? I think it's with with UCLA. I think it's a bit of fool's go like it was last year. You know, they started out the season hot and then they you know faced actually some some good opponents and lost. Um, but yeah, I mean their schedule is super easy to start with Bowling Green, Alabama State, and Southern Alabama, and then Colorado. Um, then they start to hit a like real opponents in Washington, Utah, and Oregon. 
Um, I like UCLA. They'll definitely have some momentum off last year. They've lost some guys in the NFL draft into the portal, but then again, they've hit the portal hard, like both of you guys have mentioned. Um, I just, I, there's, there's a part of me that really thinks USC is going to be good, um, mostly because they should be good. And I know they've gone through a lot of transfer portal additions and subtractions, and the NFL draft has hurt them yet again, losing Drake London. Um, and, you know, there's some of their offensive line the last couple of years, but they don't have Clay Helton anymore, um, which I don't think I don't think people understand how important that is for that program. Um, every year, you know, you can look through uh, preseason predictions with the Pac-12 South in the last couple of years, and USC is always at the top. And that's kind of become a meme in the Pac-12 community because of how they end up towards the bottom in the last couple of years. Um, <laughs> no more Clay Helton. Lincoln Riley, who I think is just a substantially better coach, who has been very good at Oklahoma, led them to multiple you know, college football playoff appearances. Um, he has his guy at quarterback. He has an offense that is, that is built around it. I know everybody's going to give me no offensive line, no defensive line. Bless you, Matt. Um, Thank you. Which, again, that happens at USC, but this is, um, I think this is, this is a different case. I, I, I agree with Matt in terms of USC versus the field. I'd probably pick the field just because I like Utah a lot. Um, but I, I think USC is still the, the, the much better team compared to US to UCLA. Um, I think they're just better at almost every single position, maybe except for defensive back or, or middle linebackers and that group. Um, just because we haven't seen what USC looks like on the field yet with those guys. UCLA is better at running back, I think. Charbonnet, I think he could be the best running back in the conference. I mean, I mean it's, it's close. I mean, you have Charbonnet versus Travis Dye and, and a couple other transfers. Like, that's – it's pretty good to have – to, it, no, to it, not it, be, the, not be the better running back room. It's still good. It is good. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, if, you, if you're just broad strokes, like, there's a case to be made. UCLA's got the edge there. Charbonnet was first team all conference last year, led the league in rushing. So, I think that part can't get overlooked. But I don't disagree big picture. Sure. And, and that's, that's where I landed earlier of, like – I think I think and, and again I'm just going to harken back to um, the predictions we made. We both, I, I had and I forget what you exactly had, Jared, but I had USC winning eight games in conference, Utah winning eight, and UCLA winning seven because I just think it's three really good teams and three pretty crappy teams. Um, but I I have UCLA winning ten games this year because they play no one in non-conference. Yeah. I mean they they play literally. It's a very very easy non-conference, and so. The fool's gold comment you made is probably not a terrible one in terms of they probably are going to be playing in a, in a respectable bowl game, despite being a team that probably has one or two wins over good teams with like impressive winning records. Like, there, yeah. it's, it's it's a weird, it's going to be a weird year for UCLA, but I think it's a really important one for Chip Kelly because if certainly if, if they aren't eight to ten wins, honestly, if they aren't nine to ten wins because the way the schedule plays out and how crappy I think the rest of the South is, like. I, not that they're going to fire him if he goes eight and four, maybe, but like they it's going to be really, really underwhelming because this feels like the year where everything does come together for for him down there, and it's been kind of a slow progression, if you will. Um, last year was his best year down there. If it's not even better in twenty two, I do think that the, the, the seat, which is already kind of hot, and there was already a lot of like off season discussion about what he was going to do, that discussion just picks up more. But if they win 10, 11 games, which probably you know eleven would have to be a bowl game, I think. Mm-hmm. then things feel a little differently coming out of 22 for, for the Bruins, I think. 
All right. Last one from Andrew C eight, nine Oh one underscore C love the numbers. Um, <laughs> what's your guys's take on Dior Johnson's release from his letter of intent, any insight on what happened? What does this mean for next year's men's basketball team? Hashtag Ots and audibles. Uh, Matt, you also wrote a VIP story on a little bit of this. <laughs> this happened about three or four days ago. Um, yeah. we, this is something that I know you've been, and we've all been because of you a little bit aware of for gosh, a pretty good amount of time. Um, share whatever you feel comfortable with, with kind of what went down with Dior. And then I, I, we just did a podcast where we talked a little bit about looking at the season. And does this, how adversely, I guess, does this impact your expectations for the 22 three season for men? This is kind of one of those deals where I'm going to look like, Oh, I knew this, but I never said anything. Um, about it. Um, and so I tried to, you know, I understand how that's going to look. Um, but I tried to drop a couple hints here and there, like, Hey, like something may happen, you know, be prepared. You know, something could happen. I I said on the board a couple of times over the last couple of months that Dior has been at a lot of high schools and that makes it hard for anybody, no matter how smart you are. Um, and he is a smart kid and he's a good kid um, to get into school. Um, most recently I did like a projecting, you know, a look at the roster and I included him in it. And I did say though, that they continue to add players. It means one person is, is not going to be on this roster on the 13. And I put that in there for a reason. <clears throat> um, so it does. I want to, I want to mention that. Okay. For me, it, this was no surprise. Um, you know, there's some things that you can report and some things you can't. And this was one of them that I really couldn't say until it happened. And so for me, I'm not really surprised. Uh, if you notice the schools that he's now considering Pitt, Mississippi state and Washington state, none of those are tournament teams. I, I think it's very interesting that he's now available on, on the, on, on college recruiting again. And None of the big boys are really, you know, they've got room. There's plenty of schools that are, are big time programs, you know, high caliber programs that have room on their rosters and they're, they're not going after him. I think that's interesting. Um, how does it impact Oregon in 2022, 2023? I, I think it hurts their depth. It doesn't hurt their starting lineup. Cause I don't think he was going to start once, you know, it was pretty much a lock once will uh, did not, keep his name in the NBA draft and is now back at Oregon for a fifth year. Once that happened, this basically made it, you know, case closed. Any chance that, you know, he was going to get into school and stick with Oregon um, kind of closed there because Will's better player. I think Keyshawn Bartholomew is a better player um, for what you're going to get out of Dior in one year of college basketball. Um, that's, and that's the thing he was going to be at Oregon for one season. It, it wasn't going to be a long-term deal. Now, if you ask me, Hey, would you rather have four years of Dior Johnson or one year of will or four years of, of Dior Johnson or one, or maybe two, maybe two years of Keyshawn Bartholomew or one year of Jermaine Kuznard, I would take, I would take Dior, but that wasn't going to be the case. And so I, I think from an impact perspective, it kind of sounds like we didn't want him anyways, but it kind of, it's not, but it kind of, I mean, I don't know if it is, but I, I just don't think this really impacts much. Um, you know, they've, they've recruited 
to handle this with the additions of Kuznard and Bartholomew. They've added Tyrone Williams, the Juco shooting guard. Rivaldo Suarez is back. Will Richardson is back. They've added Brennan Rigsby, another Juco guard. So they've kind of overhauled their guards even when he was committed. Um, So I just don't think this really is going to impact things. He wasn't going to be a starter. He probably wasn't going to be your number one guard off the bench. Or or if he was, it was going to be a 1A and a 1B scenario. Now, if Oregon has injuries, uh, if Oregon has some guys that that struggle, like if, if you know we've seen we saw Will struggle last year. So if 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 multiple guys struggle or if multiple guys get hurt, then yeah, the depth will be tested and the loss of Dior will 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 rear its ugly head. But that's you're asking for a couple things that you know one of which may happen, maybe not both. Um, so I I just think I think it's a very minimal impact from from a, a short term perspective. He's a really talented not, player. He's a, I mean, yeah. he's a really fun player to watch. I mean, his highlights are great. Um, but yeah, I mean, Matt, you, if it's one year and he's not going to start and they recruited guys who are more experienced that maybe fit the system better. Right. That's that kind of adds up. It's going to be something of an impact, but I think Matt, you know, basically hit the nail on the head that it's not going to be that big of an impact. Um, I think the writing has been on the wall and, and like Eric kind of, let us in on this topic that we've been informed on this for a while. And, but if you've, if you've paid attention to what Oregon has been doing the last couple months, I think there has to have been some kind of direct notice. I mean, Keyshawn Bartholomew bringing in a backup point guard when you're bringing in a four-star and a five-star previously ranked point guard, that doesn't make the biggest, well, much of sense. If, if you're just looking at it from a general perspective, like, wouldn't you want to play the true freshman who does have the four-year eligibility, who is highly ranked? And Oregon said, no, we're going to bring in, a, you know, the transfer junior from Colorado instead. Um, and then Jermaine Kuznard, who isn't much of a primary ball handler, but he's still a guard. He's still going to play potentially a big point guard or at least a two. Um, you know, the, that, the, the writing's been on the wall. And even Brennan Rigsby, who I don't think is going to play that often, but is yeah. listed as a point guard. Um, I think the writing's been on the wall from Oregon for a little bit now, and I'm sad. I would have liked to have seen Dior Johnson's lace up for the Ducks and seen him do some some things in the green and yellow scrimmage because I think that was going to be probably his biggest moment to shine when it doesn't really matter. Um, but now he has a list of Pittsburgh, uh, Washington State, and what's the other one? Mississippi, uh, Michigan State. Pitt, Mississippi State, and Washington State. That's an interesting trio. Um, I, I don't would think like to, any of them, to be honest with you. I yeah, I, I I think it's interesting. I think that's probably the list of schools who said, "Hey, we could probably get you in," um, yeah. because it's June thirteenth. Uh, this is not usually how it, being accepted and going into college works. Um, so if Dior is having trouble getting into college at this point, it's going to be tough for him. And I think Matt is definitely onto something in the, I don't think that he's going to go to any of those three schools. It, it's just, go ahead. Sorry, I just, just one thought on that is I know you're going to say, well, it's June 13th. He's there. There are not a lot of schools available. They don't have room, but if the three of us had an idea, this was happening, I'm pretty sure schools across the country had an right. idea 
he probably wasn't going to stick with Oregon. And they, if they really wanted to throw their name in the ring or whatever, they would have been around right now. If Kansas or Kentucky or UCLA or Arizona or those type of schools were, were lurking going, ah, he's not going to end up at Oregon. They'd be in the mix and they're not. I think that says a little something too. I think I mean, it does too, but I also think it's just trying to get a kid in at this point during the school year. I just don't, hard. I don't know what the admissions process looks like at Pitt in the state or Wazoo, but I have to, I, I have to have some sort of feeling that you're right, Eric, and that school's new, but it's so far past like all the deadlines. And I don't know if, I don't know what schools and their academic you know, acceptance looks like at this point. Uh, I just, some, a part of me has to believe that those three schools that he named, which are random <laughs> as heck, realistically, um, those are the three that said, Hey, we could, we could probably get you in. We're not hundred percent sure, but it looks good. And Dior is like, yes, that's exactly what I need. Just need somewhere to go at this point. I mean, I, I, you look at this class or you look at this roster as it sits, they now have 12 sco- players on scholarship. There really isn't like a, a deficiency from a depth perspective at its roster. They have two, technically three primary ball handlers, Richardson, Bartholomew, Rigsby. They've got multiple wings that can, now that can play on the, on the perimeter in Williams, Kuznard, Soares, um, and then you've also got Bartholomew and Richardson and Rigsby that can that can fit those roles. You've got your forwards and Ethan Butler, Quincy Guerrier, um, and then you've you've got your big men and Dante and Biddle and Ware and Luke Ware. And so like they're really like last year the issue has always been like, hey, they only got three guards on its roster, and they have to start three guards. And that put them in a in a really tough bind. Um, this year's team is different, and that's why I don't feel like like yes, there is going to be an impact when when you lose a top fifty player and a guy that's as talented as Dior. Like you're you you drop a little bit in terms of just your overall talent on your roster. But Oregon's got the experienced players. They've got the numbers kind of allocated correctly now on its roster where they can handle this. And it sucks that Dior is not going to be here, but it doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't make Oregon uh, a team that was, uh, a, let's say a, a sweet six, a sweet 16 team with him on its roster to now maybe not even making the NCAA tournament without it. Like I, I still look at this team and say, even without Dior, they should be a sweet 16 team. Like they should be a team that, that if, they lose in the second round of the NCAA tournament. You're going to kind of be like, well, they won a game, but they probably should have won at least one more. Like it, it, it was a good year, but it still should have been even better. And Dior's addition or subtraction doesn't really change that, that narrative for me. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the odds and audibles podcast. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for submitting your questions. Make sure to go to duckterritory.com and get 60% off your annual subscription or get a month to month subscription for $1 for your first month. That promo ends Monday night. Um, Today is the last day that it it will be running. So make sure to check that out. um, If you still can until the next one, you've been listening to the odds and audibles podcast. Talk to you later folks. Peace.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.